Praise the Lord. Amen. Good to see you all this morning. This is the day that the Lord has made, the Bible says, and we shall rejoice and be glad in it. You know, um, I was quite behind on my preparation for this sermon. Uh, last Sunday, two big heavyweight cricket giants locked horns, and unfortunately the Indians lost, and uh, so I was in bed for two days. <laughs> I was in tears and my brother Dan sent me a message and condolences and, and lifted my spirit. But I'm glad the Aussies won. I'm glad the South Africans or the Kiwis didn't win and Australia is my second home. Amen? When it comes to cricket. Yeah, praise God. Who is excited to hear the word of God this morning? Amen, amen. I want to share a, a little God moment that I had uh, about two months ago. So I had this uh, pair of earphones that I really love. I use it to listen to podcasts and worship songs. And when I go to gym and pretend to work out and whatnot, I hear, <laughs> I hear sermons. Anyway, one day I'm, I'm at the gym and one of the earphones stopped playing. And I thought, man, that's uh, what a shame I spent quite a bit of money on this. And uh, this is not good. And I thought, I'm not going to fork out money to buy another pair. I've got bigger bills to pay and the earphones will have to wait. Anyway, a few weeks went by and one morning I, I was up, made myself a cup of coffee and, and I picked up my Bible and, you know, as usual, I start my day with the Word of God. You've got to put the right fuel in your system, yeah? As I was about to read the Bible and the Lord spoke to me and he said, ring the good guys. Now, I wasn't thinking anything about earphones. And he said, ring the good guys. And I thought, what? Where did that come from? And I thought, oh, maybe it was about, it's about the earphones, you know. Anyway, after a few things in the morning and uh, I rang the good guys and I said, this is my name. I can't remember when I bought this. Maybe you have a receipt on your system, and I gave the name, serial number of uh, the earphones and everything. The lady pulled up the records, and she said, uh, well, Josh, believe it or not, you bought this pair of earphones on this date, exactly this date, two years ago. And she said, if you bring those earphones today, we will replace it completely free. You know, I just hung up and I sat down, just amazed at what just happened. I thought, God, you're a wonderful Father in heaven. You know, sometimes we can think, I've got little things, big things that I deal with in life. God, who is sitting in the heavenly places, he's got bigger fish to fry than my earphones. But you know, I was just so amazed. God, thank you for reminding me that you are interested in the little things in my life. What are the odds of him speaking to me on that exact day and saying, ring the good guys. And I went in there, got a brand new pair of earphones and I love it. And I just want to encourage you. 
Yes, God is so sovereign, so big, but he's interested in you. He's interested in every little detail of your life. You know, I had a friend come to my house a few weeks ago and he was going through quite a bit. And it was night time and I, and I walked out with him and it was a very starry night. And I said, brother, look up the skies. Isn't it, isn't it marvellous? There's billions and billions of stars up there and he knows them by name. Do you think your problems are big for him? And uh, man, it was good. Great conversation. And I thought, I need to step out of my house and look at the stars every now and then and remind myself, we serve a mighty big God. Amen. So this morning, I would like to turn your attention to an Old Testament book, uh, the book of Joshua, chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Joshua, chapter 2. You know, I've had um, a lot of people come to me and say, Josh, why would, you, why would you study the Old Testament? And I would tell them, why not? And they would say, oh, I just think it's not relevant. And I would say, what, what makes you think it is not relevant? I said, I can find Jesus from the very first page of this book to the very last page of this book. And if I can find Jesus... In every page of this book, I'm, th- I'm pretty sure it's relevant. Come on. Yes. Amen. You know, when you, when you buy a jigsaw puzzle, you go to the store, you buy a jigsaw puzzle, it usually comes in a big cardboard box. Yeah? People with kids would know. I haven't bought jigsaw puzzles in years, but I'm pretty sure that's how it comes. And on the, on the box is a big picture, and inside the box are hundreds sometimes even thousands of pieces of this puzzle. And there's a picture on the outside. And that picture is telling you, if you put all these pieces of the puzzle together, this is what it would look like. So you will constantly look at this box with the picture on it, so it will guide you and help you to bring the picture together. Likewise, this book is a big puzzle. Just imagine this is a jigsaw puzzle box, and on the outside of this box is a picture of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And inside is hundreds of thousands of pieces. And this is a spiritual book. So you will need to pray that God would open your spiritual eye as you put these pieces together. And I can guarantee you, once you put all the pieces together, you will find Jesus. Amen? So praise God. A great Bible teacher named William Evans said this, cut the Bible anywhere and it bleeds. The blood of Jesus stains every page, every book, in both Old and New Testaments. It is read with redemption truth. Amen? Cut the Bible anywhere and it bleeds. So with that being said, let us look at Joshua chapter 2. So the book of Joshua begins after the death of Moses, the great leader of Israel, whom God chose 
to lead the people of Israel out of captivity, out of slavery in Egypt. And now that Moses is dead, God asked Joshua to step up to the plate. And he said, you're going to take over the leadership. And God commissioned Joshua to lead the people of Israel from the wilderness, there at the border of River Jordan, in, from the wilderness into the promised land that God had promised. You know, I love the book of Joshua because, you know, it highlights God's faithfulness to his promise. So the Israelites, they're at the end of their 40-year journey in the wilderness. They're camped at the border of River Jordan, and Joshua is the leader. And uh, even though God had promised the promised land, the Israelites had to, ha- had to capture it by conquest. They had to go in and fight, chase off the enemy. So Joshua sent two men, two spies, two secret service agents, and he said, go to the land of Jericho and gather some intelligence, some military intelligence, and come back. Because Joshua is preparing one of the most impressive military operations probably ever recorded in human history. So these two Secret Service agents, two spies, went to scout the land, uh, the land of Jericho, and they started gathering information. They're they, they, they making sure everything is right so the military can move in, and they had to stay overnight. So they got onto Airbnb website, they couldn't find any vacancies. So they ended up staying in the house of a prostitute named Rahab. So here we have a woman. She's from Jericho. She's the Gentile. She's the lady of the evening. She has very poor moral status. And she would have been a social outcast even among her own people. You know, she's that type of character most people probably don't want to associate with. So these two men that Joshua sent stayed at Rahab's house. So she let these two men come in and stay, and and things got from bad to worse. So the king of Jericho somehow heard information that these two men from Israel is scouting the land. So alarm bells go up, and the king sent men to capture these two Secret Service agents. So, book of, uh, book of Joshua, chapter 2, verse 2, it says, The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them, She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone, the gate was shut. 
So here we have a situation where the king was made aware of these two guys from Israelites and, uh, and that they're staying at Rahab's place. So the men came knocking at Rahab's door and they said, bring out the men. And Rahab said, yes, that's true. The men were here, but I didn't know where they were coming from. I had no idea they were, they were from Israel. And they're gone. They left. So to- stop wasting your time here. Go after them. You may be able to catch them. So here we have Rahab, who is not just a harlot, but she's a lying harlot. So before the spies, let's move to, uh, move to let's look at verse, number eight, verse 8. Before the spies laid down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord had given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites, east of Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven, above and on the earth below. Now Rahab is saying, we have heard of the wonderful, marvelous thing that your God had done for you. We heard about how your powerful God opened up the Red Sea and, and, and let you walk across. And when we heard of it, our, our hearts got crippled and gripped with fear. We heard about how your God provided manna from heaven. We heard about how he provided water for you in the desert. We heard about how your awesome, mighty, powerful king destroyed your enemies. And when we heard of it, a great fear has fallen upon us. You know, Romans ten seventeen says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Now Rahab said, we have heard about your God, and a great fear has fallen upon us. You know, we have to... Tell people about the God we serve. Faith comes by hearing. If people don't know the God we're serving, they don't know about it. You know, I've had people come to me and say, man, I just wish um, I had a hardcore story, a testimony like this guy over here, that guy over there. My story is just boring, flat. Why would anyone want to listen to my story? You know, one has to be very cautious Entertaining those kind of thoughts. Every testimony is powerful. Your testimony is powerful because it is unique. Nobody else has your same story. Your testimony is powerful because God is writing your story. And he's writing your story so that you can tell the world about it. And there's inbuilt power in it. So if somebody comes to you next time and say, yeah, my story is flat. It's boring. Just correct them, amen? So faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So Rahab and the people of Jericho heard about this awesome, powerful, mighty God, and a great fear has fallen upon them. 
Verse 13, now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family. Now this is Rahab speaking to these men from Israel. Please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and that you will save us from death. Here Rahab is trying to strike a deal with these men because she knows what was inevitable. She knows the king of Jericho is no match for the most high God. She knows the God of Israel is fighting their battle. The king of Jericho has no chance. Uh, She is desperately trying to strike a deal with these men, spare our lives. So the men agreed to, to make a deal with Rahab. But it was a bit tough. You know, they said, look, Rahab, it's, you have asked a very difficult thing. Look at your life. What a mess. Here's what we're going to do, Rahab. We want you to sign up to a rehab facility first. <laughs> we want you to go to this rehab for 10 months. And after you've finished the rehab, we want you to speak to Brett. He's going to sign you up for an alpha course. Once you finish the alpha course, then you're going to speak to Shane and Carol. They're going to sign you up for a woman-to-woman course. And then they said, after that, you're going to join Josh's small group. (laughs) And we will see how you're behaving after that. If you're behaving, we will consider sparing your life. (laughs) that's not what the spy said the spies did not say that verse 17 now the men had said to her this oath you made a swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house. Agreed, she replied, let it be as you say. In other words, the man said, listen Rahab, when we come into your land, not if we come into your land, the most high God is fighting our battles. We're going to come into your city and wreak a havoc. And if you tie a scarlet cord to your window, we will spare you from death. The only thing that brought salvation to Rahab and her family was a scarlet cord that she tied to her window. Isn't it interesting the color of the cord wasn't blue, wasn't green. They said, tie a scarlet red cord to your window. And when we come into your land, we're going to destroy everything that's in front of us. But if we see this cord tied to your window, we will pass over you. When God sent the 10th plague to Egypt, was, that was the death of the firstborn. God instructed the Israelites to kill a lamb and smear the blood on the door frames of every Israelite house. And God said, when I see the blood, 
I will pass over you. Likewise, the Israelites saw the scarlet cord tied to the window of Rahab's house, and her and her family were spared from death. This is a foreshadow of the redemptive blood of none other than our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The scarlet cord of the redemptive blood of Jesus is woven right throughout the Bible. You know, the priest in the Levitical times um, had to wear special garments. God instructed them, you have to wear special garments before you go into the tabernacle, before you go into the most holy place. As you know, in the Old Testament, the presence of the Lord came down in the tabernacle. How many know we are in the dispensation of grace? We are the temples of the Holy Spirit. We don't have to invite the presence of the Lord. You are the temple. He lives inside of you. But in the Old Testament, the presence of the Lord came down in the tabernacle because Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet. So the priests in the Levitical times, they wore special garments, and the garments had scarlet yarn woven through their attire. Exodus 28.2, Lord said to Moses, Make sacred garments for your brother Aaron to give him dignity and honor. Tell all the skilled workers to whom I have given wisdom in such matters that they are to make garments for Aaron for his consecration, so he may serve me as priest. These are the garments they are to make, a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a woven tunic, a turban, and a sash. They are to make these sacred garments for your brother Aaron and his sons, so they may serve me as priests. Have them use gold and blue, purple and scarlet yarn, and fine linen. So the priest, the high priest. Now Aaron, Moses' brother, was the first ever high priest that the Lord appointed. Only he could go into the most holy place in the tabernacle. So he had to wear a garment that had the scarlet yarn woven through. A foreshadow of the redemptive blood of Jesus. Now inside the tabernacle were two rooms. The first room was called the holy place. And in this holy place, there was a lampstand, there was a table, and there was sacred loaves of bread. And then there was a curtain, and behind the curtain was the most holy place, where the presence, the glorious presence of the Lord came down. You couldn't just turn up into the most holy place, you'd be toast. (laughs) There was a curtain, and behind the curtain was the second room called the most holy place. See, the curtain was there separating, separating the holy place. The curtain was there so men could not just go in. A sinful man could not go in and survive in the most holy place. And the the curtain was there to keep men from carelessly entering his presence as well. Any person who entered the most holy place without the blood of a sacrificial animal would be instantly dead. In Leviticus 16.2, the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. Powerful. (laughs) 
In other words, you better take my holiness seriously. You just don't turn up into the most holy place. There was an instance when two of Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, they ignored the instructions the Lord gave. They, they were uh, training to be priests under their father, Aaron. So they went to the holy place, and the Bible says they went in with un, un, unapproved or profane fire, unholy fire, into the holy place. And the Bible says the fire of the Lord went out of him and consumed them. They were instantly dropped dead. I'm not too sure about you, but if that doesn't give you a holy fear towards the Lord, if that doesn't give you a great deal of reverence to God, I'm not too sure what will. You know, we're, we're, we're living in a day and age where people like to hear God is a loving God, which he is. Bible also says he's the all-consuming fire, meaning sin cannot stand in his presence. So once a year, on the Day of Atonement, also known as the Yom Kippur, there was a ceremony that uh, the Israelites performed. Once a year, the high priest would go inside the most holy place. But before he did, he had to sacrifice animals for the atonement of his own sins, for the atonement of the sins of his family, and the atonement of the sins of his entire uh, nation, Israel. And he would take the blood of the sacrificial lamb and he would go inside the most holy place. And inside the most holy place was the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is where the presence of the Lord came down. And we, we read in the Bible how David carried the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of the Lord. So inside was the Ark of the Covenant, and on the top of the Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat. And under the mercy seat were three things. The stone tablets that Moses destroyed, a golden jar of manna, Aaron's staff that budded. So you may wonder, what's the spiritual significance of these three things that was placed under the mercy seat in the Ark of the Covenant in the most holy place. Now, the, jar, the golden jar of manna, as you know, God provided manna for Israelites in the wilderness. But there was a time when they complained. They said, we're sick and tired of this manna. Yes, we were in slavery in Egypt, but we enjoyed the food there. The onions were good. The fish was nice. But here we are in the wilderness. We're sick of this manna. The Bible says the anger of the Lord burned against Israelites. They forgot what he's done. So a golden jar of manna was placed under the mercy seat in the most holy place. There was Aaron's staff that had budded. I won't go into every detail, but Aaron was appointed as the first high priest. God ordained him to be the high priest. But jealousy started to rise in the Israelite camp. And uh, they weren't happy with Aaron being the leader. And uh, God asked them to bring a rod. Every leader of the tribe, bring a rod. And Aaron's, uh, Aaron's rod budded and it flowed, meaning God approved his leadership. But the anger of the Lord burned against the Israelites for questioning uh, a God-appointed leadership. And the third thing that was under the mercy seat was the stone tablet of the covenant, which represents man's disobedience over God's commandments. 
So as you know, Moses went to Mount Sinai, he brought down the Ten Commandments, and he found the Israelites worshipping the golden calf. Out of his anger, he, he threw the stone tablets, destroyed it. And the anger of the Lord burned against the Israelites because of their spiritual adultery. So these three things was pl- were placed under the mercy seat. And the high priest would come in with, with the blood of the sacrificial lamb and he would sprinkle the blood of the sacrificial lamb on the mercy seat. A foreshadow of the redemptive blood of Jesus Christ. You know, I love studying the Old Testament because the Old Covenant is good because it makes me appreciate the New Covenant. We're in the dispensation of grace. But we are not to take lightly about the holiness of God. Amen? I love the New Covenant because seated on that mercy seat right now is our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. The Lamb of God who paid a heavy price for our sins on the mountain of Calvary. You know, it doesn't matter what you have done in your life, how messy your life looks, how horrible your life looks. God has placed every sin, everything you have done in your life and has placed it under the mercy seat of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the blood of the Lamb has sprinkled over all our sins and washed it away. John the Baptist saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You know, Rahab and her family were spared from death because a scarlet cord was tied to the window of her house. You know, the next time Rahab's name gets mentioned is in Matthew chapter 1 where he talks about the genealogy of Jesus. Now Rahab, an outcast, a harlot, who was saved, she marries a man named Salmon, and they would have a son named Boaz. Boaz would marry a woman named Ruth, and they would have a son named Obed. And Obed had a son named Jesse, and Jesse would have a son and he's King David. And Jesus will be known, so, sorry, King David will be known as the father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, it's powerful because only the scarlet cord of the redemptive blood of Jesus has the power to take a harlot from Jericho and place her in the lineage of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The next time the name, the name Rahab is mentioned is in Hebrews chapter 11. Where heroes of faith are mentioned, Rahab gets the name mentioned in there too, in the Hall of Fame of Heaven. It says, by faith, harlot Rahab did not perish but those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. You know, only a God who is rich in love, rich in mercy and grace, could take a harlot from Jericho and put her name in the Hall of Fame in heaven. We are not saved by the good works we do. 
Rahab didn't qualify if we were to look at her works. The only thing that qualified her to be a child of the Most High God is the scarlet cord. If I could please uh, invite the band to come up. Why don't we all stand to our feet? Every person who is, who is here today and you're saved, you didn't get saved because of the good works. You were saved because of the scarlet cord of the redemptive blood of Jesus Christ. And this morning, I want to open up this place in the front here. There are people here who are yet to receive the redemptive power of Jesus in your life, who are yet to have the scarlet cord tied to the window of your heart. And if that is you, I'd love to invite you to come to the front, stand with you and pray for you. The salvation came to Rahab because she tied this which is symbolic to the blood of Jesus. You can have your name written on the, on the hall of fame in heaven, not because you, you, you do all good works. You know, a lot of us do amazing things. We feed the homeless, we, we take care of the needy, all those things are good. But it is the blood of Jesus that gets you in eternity with Jesus. When we stand before God the Father, would he see the scarlet cord of the redemptive blood of Jesus on the window of your heart? And if it, if it doesn't, today is the day of salvation for you. Maybe you are here this morning and you're praying for somebody to be saved. Maybe you are praying for years. I believe for miracles to happen. I believe for wonderful things to happen in your family, in your friend circle, whoever you're praying for. There are people I'm praying for. I want you to come forward, stand in proxy for them. Let's believe for the scarlet cord of the redemptive blood of Jesus to be upon them. We're going to sing that song, um, Holy Forever, if that's okay. And I'd love to invite you to come to the front. You know, oftentimes we get so caught up in good works. We get so caught up in the ministry, all those things. But we maybe never forget the power of the scarlet cord. Maybe never forget the cross. You couldn't go into the most holy place and stand before the glorious presence of God without, without an atonement for your sins, without blood. You can today because of the blood of Jesus Christ. You don't have to do anything but put your faith in Christ Jesus this morning. Put your trust in the scarlet cord of the redemptive blood of Jesus.
You know, God has made every provision for you to be saved. Grace was poured out at the cross 2,000 years ago for entire humanity. Grace was poured out. And what is our response? We respond by faith. That, that, that man right there on the cross is my Lord and Savior. You know, I mentioned about the thief on the cross last time. The thief didn't get to go to church. He didn't get to go to small group. He just looked to the person right next to me and said, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. He said that because he was convinced the man crucified right next to him is the son of the Most High God. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And I would love to invite the prayer team to come forward, lay hands on people. If you are here today and you want to give your heart to the Lord, come and grab the scarlet cord so we know what we're praying for. The scarlet cord is symbolic. The scarlet cord is not going to get you to heaven. That is symbolic to the blood of Jesus. So if that is you this morning, come and grab the scarlet cord. We're going to pray with you. Today is the day of salvation. So why don't we sing this morning, amen? I would like to invite the prayer team to come forward.